All right, um, we are going to launch right into our series entitled At the Movies, and uh, so excited about this series. We, I'll be honest with you, we weren't going to do this series this summer, and then when we moved to the movies, we decided, you know what, we're going to have to do an At the Movies when we're at the movies. So there we have it. So we're at the movies. We, we're, let me tell you, we, we actually booted an entire series that I'd actually already had done, five weeks that we're actually going to put in October called Shark Week, and I'm really excited about that. How many of y'all like sharks? I remember Shark Week is actually, it happens in July, so that's kind of, we're going to have a great time with that in October, but uh, we're going to do, today we're going to be looking at Finding Nemo, and some of you maybe, if this is your first time here, you're like, why are you doing a, a series about a movie? And that's a great question because, you know, when you open up the scriptures and you look at what Jesus taught and how he taught, he actually took real-life stuff that was happening in people's lives and he opened it up and he, had, he opened up spiritual truths to everyone. And that's what we're going to do today because almost everyone has watched Finding Nemo. In fact, if you've, if you've seen Finding Nemo, let me, let me hear you. Okay. If you haven't, let me hear you. Okay, the two people, all right? All right, if you went, woo, on the last one, you need to watch this movie. It's a great movie. Wouldn't you all agree? It's a really good movie. When that movie came out, it won an Academy Award, and it grossed $864 million worldwide. Let me give you some statistics about the DVD. When the DVD came out of Finding Nemo, it broke all the records. It broke the most animated DVD sold of all time. Get this, it broke the most DVD sold of all time. 50 million DVD copies were sold of Finding Nemo more than any other DVD, especially Batman versus Superman. So, um, so now I'll tell you, if you haven't seen the movie and the two people that went, woo, let me kind of tell you a little bit. It's about a fish. Uh, there is a, a dad fish named Marlin uh, who has a son named Nemo. And uh, it, this, this whole story is really the story of the stretch of how far a dad will go to be able to rescue and to love his son. So we're actually going to turn off the lights and we're going to watch a clip of Finding Nemo now. So let's watch this now. Oh, oh, Sandy Plankin saw one. He called, he said it was called uh, a butt. Oh, wow. That's a pretty big butt. Oh, look at me. I'm going to go touch the butt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's see you get closer. Okay. Beat that. Come on, Nemo. How far can you go? Oh, my dad says it's not safe. Nemo! No! Dad? You're about to swim in open water. No, I wasn't going to go It's just a good thing I was here. If I hadn't shown up, I don't know. He wasn't going to go. Yeah, he was too afraid. No, I wasn't. This does not concern you, kids. And you're lucky I don't tell your parents you were out there. You know you can't swim well. I can swim fine, Dad, okay? No, it's not okay. You shouldn't be anywhere near here. Okay, I was right. You know what? We'll start school in a year or two. No, Dad. Just because... You're scared of you. Clearly you're not ready, and you're not coming back until you are. You think you could do these things, but you just can't, Nemo. I hate you. There's nothing. 
happen to see. Gather uh, over there. Excuse me, is there anything I can do? I am a scientist, sir. Uh, is there any problem? You know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt things. He, he isn't a good swimmer, and I just think it's a little too soon for him to be out here unsupervised. Well, I can assure you he's quite safe with me. Look, I'm sure he is. But you have a large class, and he can get lost, you know, from sight if... Oh, my gosh! Nemo's swimming out the sea! <gasps> Nemo! What do you think you're doing? You're gonna get stuck out there, and I'm gonna have to get you before another fish does. Get back here! I said get back here now! Stop! You take one more move, mister. Don't you dare... If you put one fin on that boat, are you listening to me? Don't touch the boat. Nemo! You touched the boat. You just pounded your little tail right back here, Nemo. That's right. You were in big trouble, young man. Do you hear me? It's not funny, and I know funny. 
I'm a clownfish. No, it's not. I know it's not. I'm I'm so sorry. See, I, I suffer from short-term memory loss. Short-term memory loss. I don't believe this. No, it's true. I forget things almost instantly. It runs in my family. Well, I mean, at least I think it does. Uh, can I help you? Something's wrong with you. Really. <laughs> You're wasting my time. I have to find my son. <gasps> Hello. Whoa. <laughs> what a great movie. I'm telling you. Uh, in so many ways, Dory, in a lot of ways, makes that movie. But again, this whole movie is about the links a dad will go to rescue his son. Um, and man, it's just, it's such a great, great story. Um, you know, uh, he, he encounters sharks along the way. He encounters sea turtles and anglerfish. I really mean anglerfish. Some crazy pelicans. Uh, it's just, it is, it is jam-packed full with adventure. Um, and you know, when you think about it, uh, Little Nemo's story is probably most of our stories in here today because so many of us, we push the limits and uh, we have done some things we shouldn't have done. Uh, maybe not touching big butts, but uh, uh, actually going out into open water and, and going out and doing some things. And some of you know exactly what that looks like because all of us, we were a teenager once, right? And your parents said, don't do some things or be home at a certain time, and you didn't. And there were consequences afterwards. And uh, all of us have been there. All of us can relate to Nemo because all of us kind of like Nemo as well. He has that gimpy fan. All of us, we have some stuff. We got some junk in our own lives that really kind of hinders us and handicaps us. And so many of us, we wish our lives would like Nemo in the fact that we wish we had a mom or a dad that cared about us enough to come out and rescue us. Uh, I think all of us are like that. Man, we wish that, did, did our parents even notice when we left the reef? Uh, or were they so wanting us to get out of the reef uh, that they just didn't notice when we weren't there anymore? And maybe if you're here today and, and you know, you're not a normal church person, and you're like, you're here today, and it's just so weird that I would be at a church anyway, especially a church of the movies. Let me tell you, you're not here by accident. Because I believe that we have a heavenly father that longs to have a relationship with you. So it's not here, you're not here by accident that you're here on purpose because we have a heavenly father that longs to love us and to rescue us. Here's something interesting. The word rescue is mentioned over 324 times in the Bible. So it's like God is trying to teach us something about rescue, that God wants to rescue you and me. So let me kind of tell you our big idea today, and then we're going to dive into a little bit more of Finding Nemo and a story and where the story was ripped from. Our big idea today is that God is a father who loves you and will do anything to rescue you. Our God is a heavenly father who loves you and will do anything to rescue you. Now, here's the thing. Pixar, it turns out some great movies, don't you? How many of y'all, you like Pixar movies, right? In fact, on the count of three, tell me your favorite Pixar movie. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Uh, I love Toy Story. I heard Toy Story. Toy Story 3, oh my gosh. You know, when Andy is going off to college, I, 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 I can't even talk about it. I'm going to start welling up, right? Um, uh, I remember Up. How many of y'all remember Up? The first seven minutes of Up told a, such a, a powerful love story uh, uh, that a love story that Twilight and four movies couldn't capture, right? I mean, Up 
was an amazing, that first seven minutes, and you, you hear, uh, um, you know, the old guy, and he lost his wife, and it's like, oh, it's, just, it's such an amazing story. What makes Pixar movies so good isn't just the animation, though it's good, it's the story, and it's the storytelling. Well, Finding Nemo is no different, and what's so amazing is Finding Nemo really is a, a great story, but it's kind of ripped from the pages of the Bible, if I could be honest with you, because Jesus, he was also a master storyteller, and Jesus, he, tell, he launches into three stories we're going to be looking at today. Some people call these parables, and in these three parables, these three stories, he talks about, um, one of those, a lost Son, So we're going to dig right in and we're going to see that God is a father who loves us and will do anything to rescue us. In Luke chapter 15 verse 1, it starts out like this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And I love that verse, that notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. Because that even though that Jesus wasn't a religious person, He loved hanging out with people who were very irreligious. Even though Jesus was a righteous person, he loved hanging out with unrighteous people. If Jesus, he was such a holy person, but he loved hanging out with unholy people. And I wonder why today, when you see churches all over the United States, it's the most holy, the most righteous, the most godly people that show up, but it's the unrighteous, the notorious sinners, they want nothing to do with the church or the Bible. I tell you, I don't think it should be that way because in Jesus' day, it was the people who were very far from God. They loved hanging out with Jesus. He didn't intimidate them. Uh, He didn't make them feel bad. He didn't say, watch your language, son. He didn't judge them. Uh, He loved hanging out with people who were real. And I love that about Jesus. When Jesus showed up, the most unholy, the most unrighteous, the most ungodly people loved hanging out with him. And, uh, man, I love that. You know, so many times as, when, as a pastor, I, I love hanging out with, you know, people who are not just church people. And, and I love that. But when, I, when I'm at, like, at a bar or I'm, like, at, at, a, at a B-dubs or something like that where I'm just trying to hang out, maybe do some work and, and build relationships with people who don't go to church, somebody, you know, they'll, they'll drop a, a four-letter word and they'll say, what do you do? And I'm, I'm like, I'm a pastor. And they go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I'm like, don't worry about it. I mean, I mean, I understand that you're not offending me, uh, and I, I, I have a tendency, you know, to put those people off, and I don't want to do that. Jesus never did do that. Jesus actually liked hanging out with people who were nothing like Jesus. They loved hanging out with Jesus. But you know the people who got put off by Jesus? It was the religious people. It was the righteous people. It was the holy people. It was the godly people. So uh, they're getting frustrated, and, and these righteous people. So uh, that's what happens in verse 2. This is what it says. This made the Pharisees, those are the religious people, the most godly people, and the teachers of the religious law complain. Everybody say complain. How many of y'all, you, you, some, you would admit that you complain? Okay, probably most of us, right? So these religious people, it made them complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. And what I love about this, the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, they complained, and and their complaint was simply this. If Jesus really was the Son of God, why did he know the type of people he was hanging out with? He wouldn't have touched them with a 10-foot pole if he knew, if he really was the Son of God. But not only is he touching them, he is, this word, associating with them. The original language of that word associating literally means to accept them as friends. In fact, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I accept you as a friend. 
All right? Now, some of you, you just told that to your spouse, and your spouse has been wanting that for those words for years. Right? I mean, I, I accept you as a person. I mean, that's what Jesus did. He accepted people. He didn't say, I want you to change before you can be my friend. Jesus accepted them as friends. And that's what ticked the religious people off. So these religious people, they start asking a couple of questions. The first one is this. Why was Jesus so attracted to people who were nothing like him? That bothered them. It made them complain. Why was Jesus, why did he want to hang out with people who had nothing in common with him? And why were people who were nothing like him so attracted to Jesus? See, the religious people, nobody wanted to hang out with them. But Jesus, who was the most holy, the most righteous, the most godly person, everybody just kind of wanted to hang out with Jesus. And they, that really ticked them off. It made them complain. So Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing that they're complaining, he launches into three different stories. And in these three stories, they all have one central theme in common. And, and, and really, I think as we look at these three stories, they're going to challenge you as a Christ follower, and they're going to challenge us as a church of who we are and what we should be doing as a church. So verse 3. So Jesus told them this what? Story. That's what it says. This story or this parable. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go and to search for the lost one until you found it? So he asked this question, and everybody in Jesus' audience, both the religious people and the irreligious people, are going, yeah, that's exactly what we would do. We would, they all start shaking their heads, and we would leave the 99, and we would go after the one that was lost. And then Jesus said this, and then you would joyfully, everybody say the word joyfully. Okay, let's say it joyfully, joyfully. Joyfully. Oh, that was so amazing. And you, they, they would joyfully carry it home on their shoulders, the lamb. And when you arrived, you would call together all your friends and all your neighbors, and, and they would rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. And everybody in Jesus' audience was going, that's exactly what we would do. They're, they're nodding their heads. They're going, yeah, yeah, that's it. And as Jesus starts telling the first of these three stories, that all have something in common. Here's what they have in common. And it's simply this. Is when you lose something, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is found. You see, when you lose something, you don't focus on what you've got that had been lost. You, you say, no, I'm going to focus on the lost and exclusion of what is secure. How many of y'all have ever lost your car keys? All right, some of y'all. I mean, I think most of us in here are liars. I mean, I, all of us have probably lost our car keys from one time. If somebody, if you lost your car keys and somebody says, hey, don't worry, you still got your car, right? Does that help in any way? Not at all. You're like, yeah, I got my car, but I can't drive it. I can't start it, and I can't get into it, right? Or you, lo- you lost your house keys, and you're like, well, you still got your house? Well, that's no help whatsoever. No, no, no. You see, when you lose something... You, you focus on what is lost to the exclusion of what is found. So, Jesus launches into verse 7. In this way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who comes to God than over 99 others who are righteous and who haven't strayed away. So, in other words, Jesus, out of the corner of his eyes, kind of looking at the Pharisees, the religious people, he says, guys, you guys think you're all it, and you think you're goody two-shoes, and you're totally righteous, and you think you're the found... But the people around me, these notorious sinners, 
God is more excited about what is beginning to happen in their life, in their hearts, than he has been with what's happening with you. That's interesting. Why? Because God's focus isn't what is secure or what is found. He is focused on what is lost. So Jesus uses the word joy three times to describe how the shepherd feels and how the whole community, all the neighbors and the friends, felt when what is lost is now found. Next story says this. Or suppose a woman has ten valuable silver coins. Now let me kind of stop right here and hit the pause button because when we think of ten valuable silver coins, we think of dimes. That's not what this is at all. Let me tell you, this lady is not married, and this was a dowry. And what would happen is she would take these ten valuable silver coins, they probably usually added up to about a year's wages, and she would weave them into a headband or into a, a, a afghan or, or any type of some type of something on her a persona, and and it was kind of like bait. It's like, hey, my daughter, she may not be good looking, but hey, if you marry her, you know, you're going to get the promise of this wealth, right? And that's kind of how this was, right? It's kind of funny. But, I mean, so this isn't like losing a dime. This is like losing one-tenth of your annual wages. Would you look for that if you lost it? Of course you would. Imagine this, ladies. If you have an engagement ring and you lose one of the diamonds, you're not going to say, uh, que sera, sera, right? Um, you're going to go, no, I'm going to look for that diamond, and I'm going to search for it with all of God, all right? So it says this, verse 8. Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner after she's lost one of those silver coins of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and her neighbors to rejoice with her. There's that word again, because she has found her lost coin. And everybody in the audience is shaking their heads going, that's exactly what we would do. That's exactly what we would do. Why? Because when you lose something, you focus on, the lo- on what is lost to the exclusion of what is found. You would, you would search for it until you find it. So in the midst of this, in the midst of this, he launches into a third, a third uh, story. It says this in verse 10 as he closes. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner turns his back towards God. And then he begins the third story. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them another story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now instead of waiting until you die. I mean, this son, imagine saying this to your parents. Hey, listen, you're going to keel over and kick the bucket one day. I don't want to wait for that. Can you just go ahead and give me what's mine? Now, if you told that to your dad now, what would your dad do? I'll tell you what my dad would do. He'd give me what's coming to me, right? And and so would your father uh, as well. You see, this is the most disrespectful thing a a, a child could say to his dad. Let's just pretend that you're dead. Because honestly, dad, you don't want me around. And you're more dead to me anyway. And he doesn't just break the law, this young rebellious son. He breaks the relationship with his father. The son was saying, Dad, as far as I'm concerned, you are no longer alive to me. Father, as long as our relationship is concerned, you are dead to me. And Jesus, in his most characteristic, uncharacteristic way, he says, okay. And the dad, the father, agreed. And he gave uh, the son his share of the inheritance. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. And another gasp in the audience. I can't believe this father would do that. 
So uh, the, this young son, rebellious son, takes all the stuff and goes to this big city, and he squanders it all on wild living. Verse 13, a few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land where there he wasted all of his money on wild living. This wild, rebellious teenager went, had one party after another, had one night after night getting more friends, inviting over to his flat, and, and really, in just a matter of months, squandered what took his dad an entire lifetime to amass. I mean, how awful is that. And in, in, in a worst case scenario, it doesn't get any worse than that, but Jesus, the master storyteller, he begins this, and he says this, and then, there about this time, his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to what? Starve. So he spent all of his money, and now this young kid needs a job. So he, he goes to work for a farmer. And eventually things get so bad that the only job he can find was feeding pigs. And if you know anything about Jewish thought or the Jewish mindset, a a pig, swine, was unclean animal. They were the lowest of the low. So this young Jewish boy is feeding pigs, and he's getting so hungry that the slop that he's feeding the pigs is starting to look appetizing. Let me tell you, how many of y'all ever worked on a farm? Let me see your hands. Anyone? Okay, none of us. Okay. Merry Christmas. Bunch of city slickers. Um, see, uh, I have been on farms before, and when I was pastoring in the Midwest, I mean, everybody ever had to get up early, and you had to do your chores, and you got to go milk the cows or slop the hogs or anything like that. And, I mean, if, when, you're, when you're giving those, the cattle or the, the swine, that junk, you know, that's all the pods and the slop and all that stuff, if that's starting to look good to you, you have some problems, Right? That can just be safe to say. So he says, you know what? What am I doing? What am I doing? I'm sitting here feeding these pigs, and I want what they're starting to eat. My dad is a farmer. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to ask him for a job. I'm not going back as his son. I've already burnt that bridge. Uh, I've already broken that relationship with my dad. He is no longer a dad to me because I know he's not going to consider me a son. But I can show back up and I can say, Dad, excuse me, can I have a job? Can I just, can I work as one of your hired hands? I know you're not going to take me back as a son, but will you just allow me to work on the farm? So he begins having this conversation and this imaginary conversation. When this happens, he says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my, go back to my father and I'm going to say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Uh, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Will you hire me on? And that is kind of what he's doing. So he starts turning, and he starts going back. He starts heading back. And he's kind of rehearsing this speech. And this is what it says in verse 20. I love this verse. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. And was filled with what? Love and what? Compassion. Let me stop right here, one church. If you're here today, and if you're far away from God, and you've just shown up just as a dare or a whim, or somebody bought you a Finding Dory ticket, and you're like, I wonder what God thinks of me. Let me tell you what God thinks of you. He's not filled with anger. He doesn't hate you. When he looks your direction, he is filled with love and compassion. 
He longs to have a relationship with you. And I love that, that his father was looking for him. And, and, and I just, I love that because his father had not given up hope. Had not given up hope for his son. So he says this, the father ran to his son and embraced him. And at this point, the religious people who were listening to the story kind of threw up in their mouths a little bit. Oh my gosh, you can't touch him. He's been with pigs. He's, he's ceremonially unclean. He's nasty. He stinks. And then Jesus, just to kind of press it further, he says, and he kissed him. Oh, I love that. So the father runs to the son embraces him, hugs him, and even kisses him. And he says this. And the, 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 the son starts rehearsing his speech. God, uh, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father says, stop. He says this. The, his father said to the servants, quick, bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead, who has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And all of a sudden, it starts to sink in what, what Jesus was talking about. That the reason why Jesus came, the answer to the question of why Jesus was so attracted to people who were nothing like him, is because Jesus loved hanging out with messy people. That those are the people that Jesus came to rescue. In fact, just a few chapters later, and we actually looked at this last week, Luke 19.10, Jesus says this about his mission. I came to seek and to save those who were lost. So that's Jesus' mission. Meanwhile, verse 25 of the parable of the, the son, this is what Jesus goes on to tell you. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He probably heard Cake by the Ocean playing inside by DNCE, right? So, Cake by the Ocean. Okay. Um, he asked one of the servants, what was going on? What's up with the DJ music? Well, your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the calf that we were fattening, and he's prepared a great feast. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was what? Angry. And wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, Dad, I have been working so hard for you and never once disobeyed you. What this older son was saying, listen, I haven't left. I haven't messed this relationship with up. I, I, I'm one of the 99. I'm one of the found. And in all of this time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with one of my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, that's right, Dad, I said it. I mean, I mean, everybody knows about it, Dad. It's a scandal. He comes home and you kill the fatted calf? What's up with that, Dad? I mean, why are you so focused on that rebellious son and you're not focused on me? Why are you so focused on the one that you have the broken relationship with and you're not focused on me? Why are you so focused on the one who has totally walked away from you? But you're not focused on me. This is what the, how the father replies. My son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead to me, but he's alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. You know... Do you know why Jesus loved hanging out with messy, ungodly, unrighteous people? It's because 
That is why He came to this earth to do. That is why He came. Is He came to rescue everyone, not just religious people. Not just the goody-two-shoes. He came to rescue people who are messy. And aren't you glad that he, that's why he came? I mean, because how many of y'all, that you've had some mess in your life? Let me see your hands. If you're a perfect person here, you probably need to find another church because we're really going to mess you up, okay? We really are. Because I'm a messed up individual. I am. And we have some messy people in here as well. But let me tell you, the thing I like about this is all of us, we are a mess, whether you, we want to admit it or not. All of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. But you see, the reason why Jesus came to this earth is not so that he would lower the standards. He actually says, you know, I'm going to die in your place. That the reason why I came was for you. And you, and you, sir, and you, ma'am, and you, sir, and teenage, he came for all of us. And what's so weird about this, the reason why I, I think it's weird that we have to talk about this is all of us, we've been lost at one time. All of us, we've been jacked up at one time. But it's only when we get to church and we start believing that our stuff doesn't stink that we start, no, that's not me at all. Not at all, preacher. Yeah. Right? Now, all of us are in need of grace. All of us are in need of love. So let me give you a challenge, and then I want to imagine, and then we're going to be done. My challenge for us today is simply this. Are we going to continue to be a church who allows people who don't have their stuff together to be able to come and we invite them to come and we celebrate when they become found? Because that's what the angels in heaven, that's what they do. They celebrate when one lost sinner comes to God. And all of us, we've been that one lost sinner. I have. So let's imagine something for a second. Imagine. What this, what this next year would look like if you and me spent time inviting people to come to know Jesus Christ? What if you, this next week, if you said, you know what, I'm going to talk to that coworker, I'm going to talk to that friend, I'm going to talk to that family member, and I'm going to invite them to church... And, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to tell them about Jesus. I don't know how to tell them about all that's good news. But I'm going to bring them here. And you can do that, Chris. You can let our staff do that. I'm telling you, my child, I want you to imagine what that would look like. What person do you have in your mind right now? Maybe somebody that you drive a bus for. Maybe somebody that you are a co-worker that you work on a factory floor with. It may be somebody who you're in the army with. It may be a battle buddy. And my challenge to you. Is to invite them. Invite them. Because all of us, we've been that lost person. But today, you and I, we have a father. A father like our Heavenly Father. A father like a Nemo, like Marlon. Who will willing to go through the vast depths of the ocean to cross. To be able to have a relationship with us. So if we could, let's all stand to our feet. And we're going to sing a song. The song is called, Good, Good Father. And as we sing this, Sam is going to lead us today. Um, some of you, you may have a, a great earthly father. Some of you, you just may struggle with even calling God your father. Because your father here on this earth, he was not a good person. I, want to, I just want to encourage you as he starts the song. Just know this. Your heavenly father, he is a good father. And he's not mad at you. He's filled with love and compassion. He longs to have a relationship with you today. Let's pray.
Lord, we love you. And I thank you so much, God, that we have a Father who is so good. Lord, I pray as we sing this next song, Lord, that for those who are any here today, Lord, who don't have a relationship with you, that they would just be able to talk with you and they would just be able to have that relationship restored with you through Jesus Christ. For it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.